talked about Jesus the last time we were together in the evening. We talked about imitating him. We talked about prayer. And we have before that talked about Ephesians 5.1 as a key verse, which says, be imitators of God as dearly beloved children. So tonight we want to go back to the theme of imitation, and we want to think through how we can imitate God. So let's go ahead and pray, and then we will get into our lesson. Father, we love you. Thank you for this evening, Lord. Thank you that we could gather together, Lord, that we can be together for encouragement, for edification, and tonight for some uh, festivities afterwards, Lord. I pray that you would bless our time together. pray that you'd bless our time in your word. Father, thank you for this time. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So I think last time I told you about imitating ice water uh, that my brother had in the fridge, but it was a, I put salt in it, and it was a bad imitation. Um, found out that sweet tea, you know, you can think it's sweet tea, but if you talk to a southerner, it's not real sweet tea. Uh, tonight I want to talk about other kinds of imitations that are not good. So this is a little more like a class feel tonight than a like sermon, but uh, I would like by raise of hands to know how many of you uh, know what Pinterest is. Oh, most of it. Okay, this is good. Now, uh, how many of you use a Pinterest account, like actually use it? No one. Okay, like, okay, okay, this is good. So uh, there are some people who are, some the neighbors were helping to push their arm up there on that one. My wife loves Pinterest. She's always on there flipping through, looking at stuff. I got a Pinterest account one time thinking, oh, that sounds fun. Didn't realize it was more of like, not really a guyish thing, you know? Uh, but, you know, uh, so one time she left her Pinterest account open, and so I started pinning, which is like saving, you know, Star Trek stuff on her Pinterest account. She's not like Star Trek. It was great. <laughs> so, but the, the best part about Pinterest is when, what it is, is they put up these ideas that are like crafty. And so, you know, it's like, if you have like two straws, a couple of napkins, and seven sheets of paper, you can make, and then it's like this skyscraper, uh, you know, building that's like ornate and color. It's, it, it's, a, it's like a very crafty thing and everything looks Pinterest perfect. Um, and so people will try to do this. And so um, tonight we're going to talk about imitating Jesus and we're specifically going to talk about how he viewed the scriptures because if we don't understand what the Bible is and treat it just like Jesus, we'll end up as believers looking like a copy of him that's as accurate as what we're about to see right here. So that should say Pinterest fails. Okay, so I don't even know if you can see this, but up at the top are these really cutely packaged pretzels, and at the bottom, it's like they rolled them in bacon. It's really awkward. And then, so here on the one side is this cute little sheep. You know, you've taken this cake and put it together, and over here, I mean, it's like the the sheep got melted or something. (laughs) Stood too close to a volcano, it's ugly. Okay, so not a very good imitation. Okay, on the one side are Cookie Monster cupcakes. <laughs> the other side are just monsters. <laughs> That's gross. Okay, so here's a, here's a hedgehog. <laughs> I mean, that's scary. That's going to give your kid nightmares, okay? That's not good. <laughs> that one's so good. Number one, there's two eyes. I mean, come on. And then number two, what happened? <laughs> Uh, so it didn't turn out so well. Okay, there's an, now if you like Lord of the Rings, that how do you make that Nazgul over there? I mean, this is just, that's like a, I don't know, a, a, a duck-ish thing sitting on a square table-ish thing? Okay. 
These are cute because, you know, the kid is like, what? <laughs> now, again, so there's the kid. I just, I, I'm just going to walk. Look. Who lets their kid put Christmas lights in their mouth? Come on. Uh, and then down there, that poor kid, he's so scared. He's like, don't do that, Mom. <laughs> so up here, there's kids sitting on the, on the bed, all cute. And over here, you know, I don't know what's going on right there. So, so this is the thing. When, when we say we're Christians, we're saying we're, we're like Christ. So we're, we're trying to emulate our Savior. And that's why people called the early believers Christians because they were trying to be like Christ. And so the name kind of stuck. We're supposed to be like him. We're supposed to grow more and more to look like him. So imagine if we said, hey, we're like little Christians and we are trying to be like Christ and we think we're copying Jesus, but we don't view or treat the Bible the way he does. Do you see how we would be like that Pinterest fail? We'd say, hey, I'm, I'm being a copy of Jesus. I don't think the Bible's real, really true or whatever, and it wouldn't really match. So tonight, I just I want us to look through the Bible and see when Jesus would use the scriptures, how did he use them? And then... What can we learn about how we ought to use or view the scriptures? Sometimes, as a believer, you can, uh, you can, you can think, I'm, I'm, I'm right here. I'm right where I should be. And then you look at the scriptures to see how Jesus is doing things that might bring something up in your life. Like, oh, maybe this is an area you need to change. So let's get right into it. So when you look at Jesus, whoa. What is going on? That was beautiful. This is for, I have this formatted for a widescreen, and it's not a widescreen. Okay, so I'm going to read those. That is literally a nailed-it moment. I'm going to remember this if I ever preach this again. Okay, so there are five ways that Jesus viewed the scriptures. I think I can show you from the Bible. Number one, he viewed them as true. He, he, he always sees them as true. He never sees them as not true. Number two, he viewed them as important. So, And, and I'm going to show you that by how he used them and how often he was in them. Number three, he viewed the scriptures as authoritative. And this is interesting. The God who created everything believed that this book had, or the scriptures, he would have had the Old Testament, had authority that even he was going to submit to. I mean, it was his own word, but still by, by his own testimony and his own action, he's showing it has authority. Number four, he thought it was powerful. And number five, he believed it was nourishing. So I would ask you today to go through that list that's really hard to read. <laughs> Do you believe the scriptures are true? It's actually becoming questioned today. Do you believe that the scriptures are important? Now, I know you would say that you think they are, but if you looked at your life, would you say that your life would tell people that? Um, number three, do you believe they're authoritative? Now, I, I, I'm guessing we would all say, well, course the Bible is authoritative, but when it comes to how you live, would someone look at your life and say, yeah, you really think the Bible is an authority that you ought to follow? Number four, do you believe the Bible is powerful? Do you think it has a power that you need in your life? And then number five, does the Bible in your mind, is it nourishment? Do you, do you crave it? Do you need it to get through life? It, does it nourish you? Do you believe that about it? Okay, so we'll look through these. Uh, so first of all, Jesus viewed the scriptures as true. So if you go into the Gospels and just walk through them and say, when Jesus 
uses the Bible, does he think it's true? You can find a number of places where there's range. So number one, he thought that Abel was a real person. So flip over to Luke with me. We'll be going to a lot of passages, so it's going to feel like a sword drill from way back in Sunday school, you know. And we're just going to read a lot of these. So Luke 11.51 says this. <clears throat> we'll jump back a little for the context. But uh, one of the lawyers in verse 45, it says, One of the lawyers answered and said to him, Teacher, by saying these things you reproach us also which is, you know, kind of a common practice for Jesus when he's talking to the lawyers. And he said, Woe to you also, lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, you build tombs for the prophets, and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your father, for they indeed killed them and built their tombs. Therefore the wisdom of God also said, I will send them prophets and apostles. Some of them they will kill, and some of them they will persecute that the blood of the prophets, which was shed from the foundation of the world, may be required of this generation. Now, in verse 52, he says this, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the temple. Yes, I say to you, it shall be required of this generation. Now, what I want to point to is, what is he saying there? I'm actually not concerned with how he's using that against the lawyer. The lawyer should have known those texts, and it would have been significant. But I just want to step back and say, He's talking about Abel like Abel was a real person. He's not thinking that the initial chapters of Genesis are metaphorical or mythical. Um, I, I teach apologetics up at the college, and there's a very well-known apologist named William Lane Craig. I use, I use some of his stuff. He's very smart. He debates atheists. He's always winning the debates against the atheists. Um, but he, as good as he is, he just this week came out and said, you know, when you read Genesis, it does appear that it's, you know, the earth is at the most 10,000 years old. However, science says this. And so we know, and then what he does is he takes the Bible and says, it's not really true like you'd think. Science has actually shown that it can't be the way it sounds, so you know what? And then, so his belief now is that Adam and Eve are just, the first humans that God chose out of all the humans on the earth and said, you're going to be my special people. And now he's saying the Bible is something like truth, but that's not the way Jesus is viewing the Bible. And all over the scriptures, if you look in uh, Matthew 24, 37 and 38, Jesus refers to the flood and he says this. Make sure I'm on the right verse here. He says in verse 37, we'll start back at verse 36. He, he says, but on of that day, no one or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, but my father only. But as in the days of Noah were, so it will be when the, uh, at the coming of the son of man. So he refers to Noah and he doesn't say, you know, like that story. He's, it seems like he's treating it like it's a real thing. Verse uh, in John 8, 56 through 58, he talks about Abraham. And he views Abraham as correct, as, as being a real person. So John, I think you'll remember John 8, 58 when we start reading it. But uh, we'll start back at 56. We'll say 53. So he's getting cross-examined again by the lawyers, scribes, and Pharisees. And verse 53 says this. He says, are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? And Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. 
It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. And then he says this, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham? And Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. So Jesus really thinks Abraham was a real person. So we have the whole Old Testament so far where Jesus is not saying, you know that fake story about Abraham, or you know that child story? Well, there's some truth in there. He's referring to the Old Testament like it's true. Lastly, oh, a couple more times, he talks about Jonah, and we won't read this one, but he says the Son of Man, uh, he refers to Jonah like it's a real story, and the Son of Man will do something similar to Jonah, but he doesn't say it's fake. He says it's real. And then lastly, he refers to Daniel as a, a real historical person. He doesn't say it's some story. Now remember, Daniel was in the lion's den. Daniel had a lot of miraculous things happen surrounding his life. And so you might be tempted to think, oh, he's just a myth. He's just some superhero they made up. But Jesus is seeing in all these situations, he's not debating the truth. He believes that it's true. So now if you wanted, you could start in Matthew, and you could just read straight through the Gospels. And every time Jesus quotes the Bible, or refers to the Bible, ask the question, if he didn't think it was true, would he quote the Bible like that? There, are, I don't think you'd find hardly any times where he would be quoting it as though he didn't really think it's true. So if Jesus, the one who we're supposed to imitate, saw the Bible as true, how should we see it? You know, if the Bible's not true, then all those places where Jesus quotes the Bible, he was in error also. So today the question for you is, what do you think about the Bible? Do you think it's true? Or do you think it's just some mythical book that you know we kind of use, like the Buddhists have a book, and the you know, uh, Hindus have books, and other religions have books, and this is just our book? Or do you really believe it's true? Jesus did. All right, secondly, man, this is the worst Pinterest fail PowerPoint I've ever had. Uh, Jesus also <laughs> thought that the Bible was important. Flip over to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. This is a little bit longer passage. <clears throat> I should say that anytime you do a topical message, it's always difficult because you have to make sure you use every single verse in its context accurately. So I really am seeking to do that and to not just use these like machine gun uh, bullets of proving the point. I really want to make sure I'm using them uh, in context. So here we're going to read about Jesus, and this is him when he was a boy. <clears throat> okay. All right, verse uh, 41. His parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. So it was normal for Jews to go to Jerusalem about three times a year for different feasts. It was a normal practice. It was part of the, of the different feast days prescribed in the law. And there was often normal stuff. They'd go, and it was like a, a lot of celebration and also uh, performing rituals and acts of the covenant that they were supposed to. So this was a normal practice. It says, verse uh, 42 says, and, uh, or verse, verse 43, when they had finished the days, that's the days of the feast, 
as they had returned, as they returned, the boy Jesus lingered behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother did not know it. Now, uh, my my dad has done this, uh, but not in the same way. You know, we we would go places with dad, and mom would always say, "Don't forget the boys." And there was one time we were at church, and he forgot my brother because he thought my mom had taken him home, and he had, it was we had two cars there that day, and that's happened a couple times. And I'm sure someone here has experienced that. It's a little bit different situation here. When when Mary and Joseph go down, it's not like probably not like it's just Mary and Joseph and a couple of kids. Usually, whole family units would go down, and they would go in large packs. And so, you know, a lot of times you're traveling, you don't see your kid. Well, they're probably back with the grandkids or the grandparents. They're off over here. And so it's not like Mary and Joseph were really, really bad parents. They might have been. But I, don't, I think it was more that the, the way they were traveling, they get a couple days into their trip, and they realize, I haven't seen my kid. Where is he? And that was not abnormal. They were in big groups. And so it says, supposing him, uh, supposing him to be in the company, they went a day's journey, and they sought him among their relatives and acquaintances. So they're, they're with this group. They look around, hey, where's Jesus? Is he with you? Is he with you? <clears throat> so when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem seeking him. Now, they've already gotten a day's journey away. This is for the age of cell phones. This is before the age of those little uh, GPS tracker tile things that you can buy and put them in your pocket and your phone will tell you where you are, you know, like a precursor to the mark of the beast. Uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just, but don't. Um, but anyway, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But it was before that. My point is, you know, you find out your kid's gone. It's been a whole day. That's scary. So they rush back to Jerusalem. And um, verse 46 says, Now it was so that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. So when he saw them, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And he says, Oh, I'm so sorry, Mom. I apologize. No. He says, Why did you seek me? Didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. So here's Jesus, and they've gone to the feast day. And he, you know, they leave, and he says, I'm going to go study with the scribes. Why? Because he thought this word was important. He was staying behind. He knew the scriptures very well. Did you notice that when he was asking questions and talking with the scribes, people were amazed. You don't just get amazed because someone's asking perceptive questions. He probably was very well acquainted with these scriptures. Everyone's probably thinking, how old is that kid? He's 12? How is he... You know, he might have even been schooling some of the teachers. Uh, so Jesus valued the scriptures, and it showed in how he interacted with them. Um, lastly, he desired to spend time studying God's word and learning God's word. Now, again, Jesus must have spent some serious effort. No, he's God, and I know he has omniscience, but when he was a human, he laid aside the independent use of those attributes. So I believe he was learning on his own. He was memorizing on his own. I believe he was really doing his, his father's word. I think he was being an example to us of how to live. So Jesus thought they were important. He thought they were true, and he thought they were important. Now flip over to Luke chapter 4, and now we'll stick in a passage for a little while. Jesus, uh, in the wilderness, he's now grown up. He is going through his wilderness temptation. And this is probably a more common passage that you, you, you've heard of before. 
And so the next three points that we get are going to come from this passage. Now, I want to give you a little bit of, of background. Uh, he has just been baptized by John. So <clears throat> John has baptized him, and remember at that baptism, there's a voice from heaven, and the dove comes down, and you hear the voice say, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased. And it's kind of this amazing moment. And it signifies the beginning of his ministry, his public ministry. And so right after that, he faces this temptation. So start in verse 1 with me. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward... When they had ended, he was hungry. I mean, I would say so. After 40 days of not eating, and it, oh, he was hungry. Yeah, uh-huh, I would be really hungry. Verse 3, and the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking up high on a mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give to you and their glory. For this has been delivered to me, and I can give it to whoever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and serve, and him only shall you serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, and he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall keep his angels charge over you. And in their hands you shall, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, the devil, when he had emptied every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So here, we see Jesus is baptized by John the Jordan. This is the public beginning of his ministry. And then he's taken into the, uh, into the wilderness. And here, he uh, faces temptations. <clears throat> And in this test, we see that he, he sees these three things. He, he views the scriptures as authoritative, as powerful, and as nourishing. Now, we should really quick pause. There's something else going on here that we need to talk about before we lay out where he sees these things. What he's doing in this passage is he's actually going through the same temptations that the children of, e of Israel went through in the wilderness. So when they didn't have food, what did they do? They complained, they murmured, and then what did God give them? Bread. And so here is a chance for Jesus to have the same temptation, and he passes. He doesn't have that attitude. He doesn't complain. And then there are other times where they, they were uh, being tempted. The other thing that's interesting is you think of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Uh, all three of those are here too. So Satan offers Jesus the world. Uh, Satan offers him uh, the pride of life by falling down and God will catch him. Uh, Satan uh, tempts him with the flesh, with his uh, physical hunger. And in all three of those, Jesus passes. So there's more going on here than just random temptations. But what we want to focus on is how Jesus used the scriptures. So uh, he viewed it as authoritative. <clears throat> Every single time the devil gives him a temptation, did you notice something? He responds and he's quoting scripture. Now I'm sure you've, you've heard of this. You've probably studied this before, and so maybe you've even memorized Bible passages to, to say when you're in tempting situations. I think there's two elements here that we need to focus on. It is very good for us to memorize the Bible. We need to for times of temptation. 
If you want to be like Jesus, if you want to imitate him, you need to store God's word in your heart that you might not sin against him. And this is Jesus doing that right in front of us. But I think that only works because Jesus viewed this as authoritative. You can memorize the scriptures, but if you don't think they're authoritative, no matter how many times you recite those verses in the moment of temptation, that's not going to save you. At that point, you're essentially using the scriptures like hocus pocus. You know, the magic word, say the magic word. And it's, it's not quite like that. So Jesus saw, they, saw them as authoritative, and that's why he's constantly using them. He's saying them to the devil because he's saying, this is my authority, and I'm going to obey this. I'm not going to obey your temptation. So memorize the scriptures so they're in your heart, but see them as the authority for your life. And that's what will make the change. So Jesus saw these as authoritative. Do you notice that Jesus never once says, you know, Satan, I'm God, and I don't have to do anything you tell me? Did you notice that? He is God. He could evaporate the devil right in front of him. But he was showing us this is how you live. You submit to God's word. And he did it. He showed us that it can be done. So he's giving us an example to view the Bible as authoritative. Also, all of these times where he quotes the scripture, uh, these are all quotes from the Old Testament, and it's all over the Old Testament. You cannot do what Jesus did if you are not well acquainted with this book. This is a really strong argument for if you are able to read the Bible daily. Now, there's, there's nowhere in the Bible it's going to say exactly those words, you have to read the Bible every day or you're sinning. You know why that is? It's a relatively recent phenomenon that we would all have our own personal copy of God's word. Even in like the Middle Ages, like even during the time of the Reformation, before the printing press, it just wasn't common to have your own small copy of the Bible you could carry around. On my phone, I've got hundreds of you know versions and copies. I have multiple copies. So it's, you're not going to find some command that says you have to, to read it every day. But the testimony of the scriptures gives really strong evidence that we need to be well acquainted with this as believers. If you don't think it's your authority, you're not going to put in the effort. I teach Greek up at the college, and a lot of people want to learn Greek. They say they do. But then they take Greek, and they find out... <laughs> who took Greek, <laughs> they take Greek and they find out that they said they wanted to, they thought they wanted to, but when it comes down to doing the homework at one in the morning in a language that's dead, that no one speaks anymore, where the letter N looks like a letter V, I mean, it's just, in that moment, you find out if you really did want to learn Greek. So what I would say is, in the moment of temptation, you really do find out if you think the Bible is authoritative? Are you going to submit to it, or are you going to submit to the desires of your flesh? Jesus is showing us you should submit to the scriptures. And the only way you can do that is if you know them. How should you get to know them? I think reading it every day is a great way to start. I think coming to church where we devote ourselves to the teaching of it, like it says in Acts chapter 2, it's a great way to start. I think having a Bible memory program or, or, uh, is a great way to start. There's lots of different ways you can do it. 
Um, there's an app on my phone where I can like check off this Bible reading plan every day. It'll, it'll give me reminders even. So there's lots of, of ways we have at our fingertips to take advantage of this authoritative word. But the question is, do you really think it's authoritative? If you really do, you'll be in the word. If you're not in the word and you say you think it's authoritative, I think I have a little, little bit of a question of whether you really think it is or not. Okay, secondly, Jesus saw it as powerful. You'll notice that he never once threatened the devil. He never once said, you know, I could wipe you off the face of the map. He never once said, I am way stronger than you. He never once leveled any type of a offensive attack against the devil. He never even, on his authority that he rightly had, said, back off and get away. I mean, he did say, get behind me, Satan, but I think it was in, in light of the he just passed the final test. But every single time he said, you need to submit to God's word and God's authority. So in the moment of temptation, where he's going up against not just some under demon, not some lesser demon, not some really strong demon, but the devil, when he went up against the devil, this is the weapon he chose. Now, not this, because the New Testament wasn't written yet, but about, about like this, a lot of the Bible. He knew it really well, and not just because he's God. I really do believe he put in the effort to study it. So here he is fighting, fighting the devil, and he's using God's word because he saw that it was powerful. And you notice that I don't understand Satan. <laughs> I mean, he's, he comes up to, to tempt Jesus, and he, he tries three times and quits. You know, I, I see this and think, that's all you got? I mean, you could, I mean, there's all kinds of ways I get tempted. How'd you, like, run out of three with Jesus, you know? But I think what he saw is that he was beat. I think what he saw is that he can't go up against God's word. I think what he saw was that Jesus was fully committed to this, and this is where the power is. So Jesus sees this as a very important thing. You know, in, in Ephesians, it says that the, the offensive weapon that the Christian has in the armor of God section is the sword of the spirit. It's the word of God. And so I, I think this is powerful. Are we making use of its power? And then lastly, it's nourishing. I love that Jesus, when he's tempted with physical food after 40 days of not eating, this is not four days. If I go four minutes, sometimes I can't handle myself. Okay? I mean, four hours in between meals is okay, but longer than that, and I get a little cranky. But here's Jesus after 40 days, and he says, it is written, Jesus, the devil tempts him to make this bread becomes, or this stone become bread. And again, this is, there's, a, there's more behind this that we're not talking about right now. Satan was trying to get him to do something he shouldn't have. And Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And so what he's saying is, I'm not going to die because I lack food. I live because God's word nourishes me. You know, a lot of times you get into a life and death situation, uh, you're willing to sin to save yourself. A lot of times when we get in a really intense situation that's not life and death, we're willing to sin to save ourselves. How starving was Jesus? Do you, do you think he really thought he was going to die? I don't think he did. But his point is, I don't need food. I need God's word. Have you ever had a time where you've spent a long period of time in here studying and drinking in God's word and it literally felt like it was nourishing your soul? Or, or how about this? Have you ever gone a really long time without getting into God's word 
and as you're praying and seeking the Lord, you have that kind of like ache just to be in the word. I really think that's how Jesus viewed this book, viewed God's revelation. So Jesus saw it as authoritative, as powerful, and as nourishing, as well as true and important. So here's some uh, final thoughts for you. So here's some questions. As we look at this, and then we say, you know, how does this look in our life? Here's some questions I think you ought to ask. Number one, how well do you know the Bible? You know, do you know it pretty well? Do you know it a little bit well? You know? And then if I said, if you, you give me some answers, you say, I think I know, like on a one to ten scale, I think I'm at like an eight. Okay, okay, great, you're at an eight. Give me some evidence of how you think you're at an eight. Where, where would you go for there? I had a Greek student, not your friendly agape toss over there. Uh, <clears throat> I had a Greek student who was having some trouble in Greek. And uh, he said, hey, I was the tutor. I wasn't the teacher at the time. And he came in and he said, hey, could we meet sometime for some tutoring? I'm having some trouble with uh, some of the assignments. And I said, sure, let's meet. And uh, so there's three parts to Greek that you got to know. You got to know the vocabulary words. You got to know the grammar. And then you got to be able to put it all together and translate. So it's vocab, grammar, and translation. And so I said, so where do you think you're weak? And he said, oh, I'm, I think I'm, I'm fine on the vocab. I, I got that. And I'm really fine on the grammar. It's just a translation. Like when I get to that point, I... I just can't quite do it. I don't know why. Now, here's the thing. If I know this. If you're doing homework, you can look up all the vocab answers. And you can look up all the grammar answers. But if you don't know either of those, and then you're on a quiz ask, being asked to translate, that's when you find out if you really know those or not. So I tell them, I said, okay, well, let's just do a quick quiz real quick, and then we'll get into it. So I go to the vocab section of the chapter, and I cover up all the answers. And I go to one of the oldest chapters. He's known this for many, many weeks. And I said, okay, and I, I go through the chapter, and he gets like 60% of the words right. I mean, that's, you know, it's old. Maybe he just forgot it. So we go like four chapters ahead. We do it again. He drops to like a 40-ish percent. We get to the most recent chapter, and he's like a 10%. And in his eyes, he's going, I thought I was better. I thought I knew my grammar or my vocab. And I said, well, let's. So I start asking him grammar rules. He's, he's not knowing it. So my, what helped is that he had to look at something concrete. And that helped him to show, that it helped to show him that, oh, I don't know this like I think I do. So when I'm asking us the question, I'm asking myself, is how well do you know the scriptures? An answer you can't give me is, I know them pretty well because I've been going to church my whole life. I went to church my whole life growing up. And when I went to Bible college when I was like 20, I mean, I hardly knew anything. And I should have. I went to church every Sunday my whole life. So it's not enough just to go to church. Do you know it? The last time you went through a really difficult trial, how much did the Bible figure into how you went through that trial? Did you ever pick your Bible up? Did you ever think about the verses in it? Did you ever think about what God wants you to do? The last time you had to make a really big life decision and you didn't know which way to go, what was the scripture's influence on that decision? Do you see, like, you could say, hey, I think I know God's word really well. But if you never use it in a trial, if it never informs your decisions, if it never helps you through life in general, do you really know it that well? And Jesus is our example. Here he is, God himself, and he's learning it. He's knowing it. Uh, number two, uh, how do you view the scriptures? Uh, what? When, G when you study Jesus and you see the view of his scriptures, uh, how he saw it on his ministry on earth, he's looking at them like they're true. Do you think they're true? Or do you think they're mostly true? 
You can think, well, I think most of it's true. You know, the Jonah thing, I think that's just a fable. No one could survive three days in a fish. Jesus thought it was true. Do you? And then lastly, and this is a little bit subjective, so don't let this uh, wrap your conscience up too much if you're like, yeah, I don't really identify with that. But when you read the Bible, is it nourishing for you? Is it like, oh man, I've been missing this in my life? Or when you read the Bible, is it just kind of like reading another book? You know, Bible, Lord of the Rings, eh, it's kind of the same thing. Jesus was nourished by God's word. The thing that kept him going was God's word. Is that the thing that keeps us going? So this week, I, I would like you to think through Jesus and how he used the scriptures, and I would like you to think through where in your life maybe there's an area that needs to be shored up a little bit. Do you need to get into the word more frequently? You know, I know, I know everyone says you've got to read it every day, and I think you do, but if you're not reading it all, could you start reading it every Monday, Wednesday, Friday? Could you read a chapter a day over your lunch hour? Could you start some sort of a memorization program? You know, sometimes it would help to do it. Maybe you meet with someone else and you read through it. Can, can you do that? Think of something that we've talked about here and say, how can I address this in my life? Because remember those Pinterest fails. If we say we want to imitate Jesus, but we don't imitate him in the way he viewed the scriptures, we're going to look like that sheep or that really ugly minion or the other stuff that was just really scary and not at all like the real thing. All right, let's pray and then we will be dismissed. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for being our example in how to handle and view the word. I pray, Father, that we would be people of the word. I pray, Lord, that uh, we would do our best to try to find time to get into your word, into the Bible. I pray that we would nourish ourselves on it, Father. I pray that the next time we're really, really hungry, maybe, just really famished, that you would remind us of, of how Jesus viewed the Bible. Next time we're starving like he was, I pray, Lord, that we would remember that we need to be also starving for a word from you, God, for an authoritative, revealed word in your Bible from you. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you again that Christ died for us to forgive us of all of our sins, and he died so that we could know you and that we could live a life where we get to know you better each day. Father, we love you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.